Hello, and welcome to Pragmatic Live, Pragmatic Marketing's webinar and podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product teams. My name is Rebecca Caligeris. I am the Vice President of Marketing at Pragmatic Marketing, and more importantly to you, host for today's event. Before we get started, a couple of housekeeping items. First, yes, a recording of this webinar and a copy of the slides will be available after today's event. We'll be posting them online at pragmaticmarketing.com slash live. And don't worry if you don't have to write that down, we'll also shoot an email out afterwards with a link to the recording. Second, questions. We love questions. If you look at the bottom of the screen, you'll see a series of round icons. If you click on one with the three dots, you can select Q&A and you'll be able to enter any and all questions as we go through the presentation. And we'll try to get through as many as possible at the end of today's event. Now, many of you are already familiar with Pragmatic Marketing, but for those of you not aware of us until today, welcome to the family. Pragmatic Marketing specializes in training companies and product teams on how to be truly market-driven. We provide techniques for listening to the market and gathering market facts, and then using those facts to shape strategies and drive execution. And we've been doing this and doing it quite successfully for nearly 25 years. Today's webinar is about one of the most important skills a product manager or product marketing manager must have, strong presentation and pitch skills. Why is this so important? Because frankly, it doesn't matter if you know the exact perfect roadmap or marketing program for your product if you can't get the rest of the organization to buy in on it. Let's be honest, what is more frustrating than having a great idea that you just know will work and not being able to get other people to see that? Helping us tackle this today is John Torrance, presentation and speaking coach, storyteller, and natural introvert. So he teaches from experience both his own and those he's coached around the world. Welcome, John. Welcome. Thank you very much, Rebecca. I really appreciate your intro. I know you have a lot to cover, John, so let's just dive right in. Okay, let's get started. So hello, everyone. Um, probably worth mentioning there in, in my intro is that I was a designer for a long time, but I've also done a lot of stand-up comedy. So I've learned the hard way how to engage people with writing and delivering. So this is what we're going to cover. Uh, first up is writing. It is the material, the content. What I often find is people come to me and say, oh, can you help me with my delivery? And so we work together and it soon becomes apparent that actually their content needs a lot of work. I don't think, uh, even if you've got fantastic delivery skills, you need to have good material. So that's the first thing. The second is visuals. Now, you don't necessarily have to have visuals, I think, for a good pitch or presentation, but that's the format that most people I work with are interested in. That is standing up in front of people, showing them something to convince them that they should get involved, that they should invest uh, in the particular thing that you're showing them. So the visuals could be anything, but we'll, we'll cover that later on. And then finally, it's delivery. It is the magic of a pitch or presentation. And this is the reason that you don't just send the slides to someone. You actually speak to them in person. That's the important bit. And that is the area which most people I find have a real problem with. And that's where uh, my experience can really help them. So those are the three sections. I like to keep things nice and simple. So let's get straight into it. Writing, creating your stuff, creating your wonderful content. The very first stage is preparation. Now, we all know that we need to prepare. We all know that we should allocate the correct amount of time to creating our pitch or presentation. But I have to say that you do it. Um, I have to tell people, remember to do the preparation because when I talk to people who've had a bad pitch or presentation, I say to them, right, what was your process? Most of the time, they didn't prepare correctly. So you need to allocate yourself a decent amount of time and resources. Doing it last minute is not going to help you. So do yourself a favor, do the preparation. Then you should have a real advantage over the other people who won't bother to do that. The next stage, which I think is really important, is research. Now, let's assume you've been asked to speak about a subject which you are an expert on. You might have been asked to give a presentation on something you don't know about, and that is a horrible thing to do. And in those uh, circumstances, you should refuse, I think. However, uh, let's assume you know what you're going to be talking about. 
you need to do some research. You need to find out. Now, one thing which I haven't mentioned here is that you should make sure you're aware of the latest thinking in your subject. So there may have been something that was published that morning. There may be something that's on people's minds that you can tie into what you're going to talk about. So dropping that in can be really useful. But the first thing that I think you should research is your audience. You need to learn everything you can about the people that you're going to be speaking to. And the particular things which I think um, people sometimes miss uh, are things like the size of the audience. If you can find out how many people are actually going to attend, that can be very useful. So, for example, I can see here that we've got over 900 people, which for me is terrifying. But it's good to know that. Um, and that, that can be very useful. So whoever is um, has arranged for you to, to speak, find out how many people are going to be there. Is it just going to be five? Are there going to be 500? Get used to the idea of how many there are going to be and think of good ways to engage them. You also need to think of what's their level of experience. Is there someone in the room who knows more about your subject than you? Because that can be a challenge. If that is the case, it might be terrifying for you. However, perhaps you could get them involved. Perhaps you could get them to contribute, ask them a question, make it a bit of a dialogue so you're not worried about missing something out that they're going to, going to then mention. You could find out what their expectations are. Do they expect to see an hour of PowerPoint? Do they just want five minutes? Find out what they want. It might be that they are expecting a format that's huge and long and you want to break that. You want to confound their expectations and give them something short and snappy. But whatever it is, finding out exactly what they're after is really important. You could also find out about their culture. What's the culture of their industry, their national culture? Are they going to want to ask lots of questions? <clears throat> if they're, for example, British uh, like me or perhaps Chinese or Japanese, maybe they're not even going to want any interaction. Perhaps they're going to accept what you've said, applaud, and then there's no interaction. Office. Find out what they're going to want. But a pain point is really good. What is the, the problem that you can solve for them? Ask them what's their, uh, what's the key thing, what's the best thing that you could fix for them? If it's uh, something to do with their industry, something very specific. If you can address that straight away, they'll really appreciate it. So find out about them. Do Think like a spy, basically. Find out everything you can about your audience. Then the next thing, and this is very important, a lot of people miss this out. And I've learned this, again, the hard way from doing a lot of uh, pitches and presentations, you want to find out all about where it's going to take place. Now, best way to do that, if you can get into the venue itself and explore, that's really good. If not, I found with some good venues that I can look it up online. But find out about size of the room, shape of the room, what tech is available. Will you have to bring your own laptop? Will you have to bring leads? Everything that you could possibly find out What's the layout going to be? Is there a stage? Are there microphones? You can probably think of a few more things as well. But doing your homework, as we like to say, is a really great way of minimizing the pain and stress on the day itself. So find out as much as you can about that room, about the audience, what the format is, what's expected, and you'll put yourself in a really good place. Right, so you've done that. Um, you know about your subjects, and you're going to start off by making the material. Now, what I find is that um, a lot of people will sit down and their first step is to fire up PowerPoint and they just start writing stuff and, and putting material down. Now, that's not bad to get ideas down. That's a good idea. But here's my top tip. Instead of sitting there and writing, you say the words out loud and then write them down. Now, this is important because you may be able to write wonderfully. You may have beautiful, eloquent speech, and you, you, you write down in this particular way. That's wonderful. It looks good. It reads well. It's great on the page, but it's not the way you speak. And I see a lot of presenters fall down over this. They've written something that's amazing, and then when it comes to the day itself and they say it, it's not the way that they speak. It doesn't feel natural. It doesn't flow. So do yourself a favor, stand up, walk around, talk about your subject, and then note down those things. I find that there'll be little phrases and asides and useful bits that, that come in, little conversational things that make it flow and make it more natural. 
of course, the other benefit to this is having a, a good conversational style is that your syntax will be simpler. You'll have nice, concise, easy to understand sentences. It will flow into your audience's brains much more easily if you're just talking in a conversational way. So say the words out loud. And I like to think of, uh, I like to use what I call a, a sketch technique, and that is write your ideas down, just jot them down, but very simply, maybe on cue cards. You could do it in PowerPoint if you wanted. It should be something you should show people, but just simple words and phrases. Don't go into the slides straight away. Don't start trying to make something beautiful from the beginning because if you then change your mind about the structure, guess what? You're going to have to throw away all that hard work making it look beautiful. <coughs> Excuse me. So I think you should get the themes and the concepts solid first. Have them jotted down on bits of paper, however you want to do it, post-it notes, it doesn't matter. And then when you're happy with that, when you're used to editing it and getting it how you want it, then go into the slides. Then you can start making it look beautiful. The problem I see is people will come to me with a slide deck and they, they sort of want permission to get rid of bits of it. And I have to say, look, cut that, cut this, you don't need it. They don't want to do that because they've invested time in it. It's a sunk cost. Oh, I spent half an hour on that slide. Well, you shouldn't have. <laughs> you should have. Uh, got the content right for first before you made the material. Now, how do you make that material interesting? I get often I get asked by academics and researchers at Cambridge University. They say, "How do you make a boring subject interesting?" Right, you may know the answer to this. Here it comes. Strap in. Stories. Stories are amazing. They are at the heart of the best communication. As a species, we love stories. There's a great TED talk by Andrew Stanton, who wrote a lot of the Pixar movies, where he talks about why we're, we're hardwired for them. We just love them. It's someone else's experience. It might be someone solving a problem, uh, going through a, a really tough situation. We are fascinated by it. It's why we have soap operas. We just love other people's experiences. So by telling a good story, and you've got to find your story, of course. <clears throat> it could be your story, it could be the story of the your company or the story of a particular project that you're talking about. But by doing that, what you do is you make it relatable. Anyone can say, this is our company, we do these things, we offer these benefits, we work with these customers. That's fine. That makes sense. It's logical. But to really resonate with your audience, if you start with, last week I was with this group of people they were having a terrible time you suddenly set off on this interesting story you don't even have to introduce yourself you can just start off with that here's the story here's the interesting bit they had this terrible problem we came in we helped them by doing these things we had a great relationship with them we solved the problem now they're really happy that story demonstrates all the things that you would say otherwise it demonstrates the services your company offers what you offer it demonstrates how you work, how you're brilliant problem solvers, but without saying so. It's all very well saying, uh, we're creative, we're innovative. Why not show them with that story? It also humanizes data. If you've got tons of data, that's fine. It might be good, solid data. It makes sense. It's logical. But if you tell a story over that data, if you explain what those individual bits of data mean with a human story, it, it just resonates and it sticks in people's minds. It's memorable. And that's the really wonderful thing. Uh, another wonderful thing about stories is that people remember them. You might start talking to someone, you might be trying to pitch an idea, and from the get-go they're thinking, no, not interested, this isn't my thing, I'm not going to get involved, nothing to do with me. But if you tell a good story, that will stick in their minds. They then might tell that story to someone else because it makes them look good, because it's a cool story that they can then share. So it's memorable for your audience, which is great. And a good story, let's face it, you might remember that for years to come. But it's also memorable for you. So instead of having to remember, this is our company, this is our range of benefits, these are the amazing things that we do, you simply remember this company name or this event, this one thing, and you tell the story and it flows and you talk about the emotions that were felt and the problems that were solved and the wonderful things that happened. That's really the power of stories. And in fact, if you can get a good story, it'll solve a lot of problems for you. One of the key ones which will solve um, is the problem of structure. Uh, I often see talks, uh, pitches, presentations where someone, they start talking, 
and they talk some more, and then suddenly they stop talking, and it's the end, and I didn't realise. A good story telegraphs the end. It has a beginning, middle, and end. And so if you can let people know that you're in the final bit, you're in the, the, the final stretch, and then you deliver that, it's satisfying. And if you can tie it to the beginning, then again, it's satisfying. Andrew Stanton says, don't give an audience four, give them two plus two, let them work it out for themselves, let them make the connections. And we love that. So a good story will really resonate with your audience. It'll put them in that situation where you were, they will experience it in the same way, and it'll just be satisfying for them. So I appreciate finding that story might be difficult. And what I would also say is people tend to think that their story isn't interesting. I get this a lot. People tell me about what they do and uh, their experiences. And then I ask them more and they're, they're confused as to why I would want to know more. And their story is interesting. So share something personal, share something with your business and people will really appreciate it. Okay. Um, you've got all this material. You've got a great um, story. You've got some content. That's good. Now, you need to rein it in a bit. First thing I do with lots of presentations I get is I hack and slash. I cut so much out. What I find is um, I work with a lot of technical people, and what I find is that they're so worried about missing stuff out. They decide to include everything. I will include all my knowledge, which, of course, is a nightmare because you're simply overloading your audience. Simplicity does not mean dumbing down. It means distilling what you're talking about to its essence. You can assume that your audience is very intelligent, but they don't have the prior knowledge. They don't have that extra experience that you have. So you need to educate them and make them understand. You do this by keeping things simple. No three-letter acronyms, no names of software that you and everyone you know use because you might be speaking to an audience who don't know about this. And this is part of the research into your audience. Are there people there from outside the industry? You're going to have to explain in a way that anyone can understand. But again, it's not dumbing down. And an expert in the room will see that you really know your subject when you can explain something complex in a simple way. They will really appreciate it. There's uh, a guy called uh, Simon Sinek, who's a great um, marketing guy, and he talks about start with wine. In fact, he's got a TED talk um, uh, which mentions this. And he says that a lot of companies will talk about what they do, how they do it, and then why, then their motivation. His idea, which is very good, is to start with your why, start with your reason. I find a lot of people will have their most interesting, exciting bit will be about three quarters of the way through or at the end. Start with it. Start with your motivation, why you get out of bed in the morning, how you want to change the world. Start with that and it should resonate with people. If it appeals to them, then the what and the how, that'll come later. If they're already on board because you've appealed to their idea of changing the world, of doing something different with your company, then they'll be on board. Okay, so um, there was, I believe there was a, a, a poll for what has the greatest effect, material delivery. And, uh, okay, that'll, that'll uh, come in later. Right, I'm just going to have a sip of water, excuse me. Okay, so that's, that's writing. Now, by writing, I mean making your content. Don't skim on this. Give yourself a good amount of time to do it. And also, divide your time up properly. If you've got, uh, if you've only allocated an hour or so, make sure that halfway through you stop writing and you start rehearsing the thing. You get used to saying it out loud. That's part of the writing to, uh, uh, speaking to write as well, as you get used to saying the words out loud. I can't wait to touch on that more. But first, let's take a quick break. Hello, Pragmatic Live listeners. Did you know that we have helped more than eight thousand companies worldwide with our proven methodology and framework put the pragmatic marketing framework to work for your organization visit pragmaticmarketing.com slash buy all right let's get back to the podcast okay so that's writing uh let's get on to visuals 
what should you show, if anything? So here's me fooling around. Uh, I live in a tiny city in the UK called Ely, uh, and it has a cathedral. That's me outside the cathedral. Anyway, the reason I, I show this is just because this is a unique image. I'm pretty sure no one else would show this image in their picture presentation. I really hope they wouldn't anyway. And I put that there just to show a, a little bit of a sense of humor. Um, maybe there's some comment about my multiple personalities. I don't know. But the point is, it's original. It's different. And if I do that, I know no one else is going to have that image. So that's one plus point. The second is, once the audience realizes that you're showing them original images, they will then be hooked because they know or they would assume that the next image they see um, will be uh, will also be original. And oh, right, that poll's come in. Here we go. So we have uh, oh, it's it's overriding. So <laughs> uh, a few people went for delivery, but most people went for the equally important. I would say that is the correct answer. Um, I think that an emphasis on one and the other would be a weakness, and I think you need to give yourself an equal amount. Uh, of time and attention on each one. If you're focusing on one, it's probably because you enjoy it more and you're better at it. Here's the, the cold hard advice. Focus on the other bit as well. You might not enjoy it, but you'll certainly improve a huge amount. Okay, so that, that's one visual. Uh, here's, here's another visual. Um, I, I could tell you about my holiday last year with my family and I could describe it to you. Or I could show you this lovely photo. Look at them, they look so happy. Um, that's my wife and kids. So. That straight away gives me a prompt. That gives me enough information that I could, that reminds me about the walk that we went on on a particular day, that it happened to not be raining that day, which was very good, or at least not at that moment, and that we had a map with us and we had a lot of fun. A good visual will really get an audience's attention. Having pages of text, and to be fair, I have lots of pages of text in this presentation, but having just pages of text, it's just not enough to, to fire up people's imagination. And to consider good visuals. And I mean, I took these photos on my phone. I mean, I probably, I probably compressed them a little bit for the presentation, but generally you can take pretty good photos with your phone. So do that because you will provide something that's unique and that, that'll be a great hook. Uh, if you're tempted to use images off the internet, I've seen people I've seen different presenters use the same image uh, because it was on the first page of Google search and they both used the same one and they, it made them look a bit silly. So don't do that. If you can use original images, it's fantastic. Also, other benefits are it shows that you got involved, that you were bothered to have some fun with your presentation. Also, you can do things like name check people who are in the photos as well, which is really good. So here we go. What should you use? Bearing in mind, the presentation is a concept, it's ideas, it's a place you want to take your audience to. It's easy to fall into the trap of thinking the slides of the presentation. They are not. If your slides fail, you should still be able to do your presentation. If you can't, then you don't know your stuff well enough. A great challenge, and it's very hard, is to take away people's visuals and say, right, go. It's tough, but I find what tends to happen is people will improvise a little, but they'll actually come up with some really good stuff. And they come up with, with better material. Yes, you might um, solve a real problem with the visuals, but that's, that's the time you should use it. It's how do you get the idea into people's heads? What's the best way? If you're talking about a physical product, let's say you've got a small piece of electronics, bring that along. If you've got an actual working or a version that people can see, immediately it communicates the size, the weight, the texture, the, the construction quality. A photo isn't going to do that. And I've been thrown several times where I've seen an image of something and I've simply assumed its size or its weight. And then I've seen the actual thing and it's been different. So would a physical prop use uh, be better? Would using a, a whiteboard or a flip chart be better? I've seen people uh, abandon their technology because it went wrong and they started scribbling on the whiteboard and getting input from the audience, and it was way more interesting. Suddenly we had something that was a lie that felt improvised, and it wasn't. They knew what they were going to talk about, but they knew their stuff. So remember, the, any visuals you show are to illustrate what you're talking about. You don't need a slide for every single thing that you say. 
you can hide the slides. Um, there's a great thing. If you happen to be using PowerPoint, letter B on your keyboard will make the screen go black. This is very handy if the slide no longer helps you in your pitch or presentation. If you don't want the audience to be distracted by the screen, press letter B and it'll disappear. Uh, letter W makes it uh, uh, turns it white. Anyway, that's, that's probably the PowerPoint thing. So that leads me very neatly to how to use PowerPoint. Uh, that might sound slightly arrogant <laughs> that I know the exact way to use PowerPoint, but the key is it can do lots of great stuff. It can be wonderful. I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with it, so I'll get really obsessed with the slides. It's not important. You want something that um, is appealing, but is functional. Don't get too hung up on doing animations. Um, explore the templates. There are some really, really nice templates, which generally I find um, a dark background with light text is really good. Explore those because they're already in PowerPoint and they do really cool stuff like choosing great fonts and um, nice colors and cool shaped bullets and things like that in a second. So you can apply one of those and it does lots of work for you. Uh, another great trick which I really like is jumping to a particular slide. So I'm not going to do it here, but if you press um, a number, so you can enter any number of one or two digits, and then you press enter, PowerPoint in particular will take you to that slide, which is super handy. It means you can skip slides which have become irrelevant. You can skip slides if you're running out of time and you don't want to miss out your fantastic grand finale. You can do slides in a different order. You can also have an index of interesting information. Let's say you're a technical person, you have brought along tons of data, you know you can't show all of it. Maybe you have a presentation or pitch that's five slides, and then you have another hundred, say, of very specific data. You deliver something that is almost deliberately incomplete, so that when someone in the audience in the Q&A says, ah, you didn't mention this, or where's your data for this? You have your printed out index, of course, and maybe someone is helping you with it, but they look down, you stall for time a little bit, you say, oh, yes, that data, and then you enter that number, and kapwing, up comes your slide with that specific bit and they've fallen into your trap. But you, you're letting them guide you through all that information that you've got because you could talk about your subject all day. You need your audience to kind of guide you through the specific bits which are going to be relevant to them. Now, the tech can fail. You can imagine a million things that can go wrong, I'm sure. But whatever you're showing, it can go wrong. It probably will. It'll do something you don't expect. If you can be ready to um, ditch it at the drop of a hat. It's really, really useful. So uh, another poll then is um, what medium should you use? Oh, sorry, uh, do you think that slides are necessary? Do you think that visuals are necessary for your pictures and presentations? One answer, and I appreciate you, you're, you're, you've only just seen that, it's only just popped up. I mean, one answer is it depends. But let me know what you think, because I think there are many situations where, well, we'll see. We'll see what people say. Um, so if in doubt, if something's going wrong, please, please abandon it. Even if it's breaking your heart, even if you spend ages on these amazing visuals, just ditch them, come back to it later. For every second that you're messing around trying to get the technology to work, your audience is just thinking, right, we're not interested. Do you know this stuff or not? Get on with it. So if in doubt, just ditch it. Um, now, I've already uh, mentioned images and I've shown you some. I think if you can have uh, an image that fills the slide as I've done there, it makes a real difference. Often people put them in and they leave a little white border. Have it fill the slide if it's high enough resolution and maybe put one word or no words up there and let it be a simple prompt that is only a prompt for you. If you have bullet points up there and you're reading them out, then obviously that's a really bad thing. But if you've got a nice, strong image, um, that should be enough to remind you of what you're going to talk about. And you can talk about anything over that. I find often what's really useful is to consolidate a presentation. So sometimes people have a, a, um, a slide with lots of information. I say, look, remove that. That's your script. You can say all that, but don't put the words up on the screen. Use that beautiful image that you've got and talk about the subject, all those words, all that script over that particular image. You can do a presentation with no text whatsoever. Now, 
one point with that is sometimes people say, hang on, I've got to send the slides afterwards. What's the, this is pointless. Have two versions. Here's my other, so here's a major top tip. Write your presentation out. So fire up your PowerPoint, Prezi, whatever you're using. Fill it with text, fill your boots, go crazy. Preserve that version. Save it out as email version, first version, first draft, whatever. Then hack and slash, cut out all that text, make that your script, make it beautiful, simple, concise, maybe it's just images. And then afterwards, when people ask for your slides, then you can send them that first draft, that first version. It'll match in terms of visuals, it'll match in terms of sections, but the people who receive it will think, wow, you did extra work. You made a special email version full of stuff. No, you didn't. You just preserved that first draft and you sent it to them. And it's filled with the words that you said, even cleverer. So uh, that's images. Um, and last bit on visuals then is, how do you remember the thing? Um, I've already said that the, uh, the images can be enough of a cue. I quite like to have cue cards, little index cards. You could have an A4 sheet of paper with headings for each of your sections. I don't think you should have uh, a verbatim script. I, every time I've seen that, it kills the delivery of the person speaking. It comes out as wooden. It comes out as just robotic. So have a very simple list of cues and talk around those. Keep it alive, keep it flowing, reword it each time. It just makes it feel more natural. Okay, so right, uh, results of the poll. Uh, we've got, yeah, 154, yes, uh, 230 no, and then some not sure. So I think, I mean, I said it, it, really, it really depends. What I would recommend though is try your talk with showing nothing at all and then see what problems a visual would solve. See the places where you really need one. Look at TED Talks. Sometimes they have no visuals at all, and they're brilliant and compelling. Okay, so we've done writing, we've done visuals. Um, let's get into delivery. Now, this is the real magic zen uh, level. This is the, the bit that people really have a problem with. And let's get to the point. This is about confidence and feeling nervous. And ultimately, I guess what I give people is confidence. That's what they want. So there's some bits of good news for you. The first is, as far as I'm concerned, nerves are normal. As Sherlock Holmes, Benedict Cumberbatch version said, uh, fear is just wisdom in the face of danger. And I really like that. It's completely logical to be afraid. You don't know what the and this is in a situation, we're assuming this is a situation where you're speaking in front of people and the result matters. You cannot predict the outcome and you care about the outcome. Therefore, you are scared. Good. Get used to it. If, however, you are nervous because you haven't prepared and you haven't put in the work, then I'm afraid I can't help you. Uh, you're on your own. Tough luck. Sorry. That's, you're nervous for a very good reason. But if you're nervous and you've put in the work, then you can obscure the nerves with the confidence of knowing I've rehearsed, I've written some good material, I have created something that makes sense, that has a good structure, and that will really help. Also, I mean, you may have heard of the technique of visualization. If you visualize yourself enjoying what you're doing, it actually kind of fools your subconscious and it's a great technique. And when someone first told me, I thought, what a load of rubbish. And then I realized I'd been doing it for years. I remember each other time that I've spoken and I remember generally it goes well. It's like a stand-up comic. Um, Saturday night, headlining at a, uh, a comedy club. They walk out there. All they're armed with, all they've really got in their head is, I know what I'm doing. I'm good at this. This will probably go well. They can't walk out there going, this is going to be incredible because you never know what's going to happen. So get used to your fear. It is, as far as I'm concerned, it is um, a source of energy. It will power you. It's a limitless source of energy, actually. And it can actually help you, but it won't go away. Don't for a moment think, oh, that other speaker who seems to be brilliant isn't nervous. They're nervous. What happens is they're just at a different part of their story, a different level. Once you've got enough experience, 
I find that those nerves turn to excitement. So my heart will be racing before I go out there and speak in front of a big audience, especially as I'm talking about talking and I'm supposed to be good at it. But it'll be racing, but it becomes excitement. So, um, oh, here's, here's another poll for you. Uh, do you want to be funny when you give a pitch or presentation? Um, yeah, see, <laughs> see what you think of that. Uh, opinion is divided. Um, so what I find really works is getting into the venue early. This might be the day before, 10 minutes before, it doesn't matter. If it's a conference, there's a sound check. For goodness sake, go to the sound check. Go and stand in the place where you will be speaking. But if it's just a boardroom, go there as well, if you can. Get used to it. If you can rehearse in that room, it's brilliant. But get used to the room. Get used to the way it looks. If you've ever stayed at a nightclub until the lights come on, you'll know how things can change a little bit. A little bit of the uh, um, glamour is perhaps lost. A similar thing, I think, happens with the room where you're going to be speaking. Yes, once it's filled with people, there will be expectation. There will be pressure. People want you to do well. But if you get in there when it's empty, you'll see it's just a room. There'll be some chairs. There'll be some people. Yes, there'll be expectation. But if you've got used to just walking around wherever you're going to be speaking, whether it's a stage or whatever, if you've got used to that, it will lend you a wonderful credibility and assurance. Sure, you may be absolutely terrified inside, and that's the big trick is looking assured and confident whilst you feel nervous inside. And that's where good uh, practice and rehearsal comes in. But if you've got there early and you've got used to the room and you can see uh, that here are the sight lines, people can't see me here, I need to make sure I look at those chairs over there, I make sure I look at these people, it'll put you in a really good place. And you see it with speakers who maybe move around a little and they look at home. They might be terrified, I don't know, but they look as if they're happy. So get there early, get used to it. Um, it also goes with the tech and the research for the room. Find out about, make friends with the person who does the sound and lighting and get them to help you out. There might be a special microphone you can use, there might be a special clicker and so on. Rehearsal is key, but here's the thing, don't rehearse the same words every time. It's tricky, but if you can reword it, you'll keep it fresh for you. It'll feel more conversational. Try it in different ways. Try delivering it to a to someone, a colleague of yours who's sitting down. Just try that in front of them. Uh, maybe you've run through it a few times. Do a dry run. Say, look, I've got this thing. It's ready. Just tell me what you think. Sometimes that feedback would be super useful. Get used to saying the words. Get up first thing in the morning and just run through it. If you do it properly, you can reach a magical level where you are at one with your material. And by that, I mean you're not constantly worrying about what's the next slide, what's the next thing that's coming. You're just in the moment. And that's the, as I say, that's the Zen level. That's the highest bit. You're not worrying about what's gone, what's past. You're not worrying about what's coming. You're just talking about your subject, the thing that you love, your story. So get in there and, uh, yeah, get used to saying the words. Um, I'm fascinated by first impressions and uh, there's a great book called Blink by Malcolm Gladwell where he talks about this. And I find that they, some people say, oh, it's 30 seconds. I reckon it's about four or five seconds, maybe even less, when you see someone get up for the first time to speak. Or maybe it's when you meet them. Here's what you do. Smile. Eye contact. Clear statement. I'm going to talk to you about this. Or this is me. This is what I do. Or... I'm going to change the world. Or yeah, here's, here's a thing. It's here's my why. There you go. It would be that. That first impression makes such a difference because I think we uh, what people do is they make that first impression, whether you mean to or not, and then we look for evidence to back it up. So if you make a good first impression, you can get away with stuff. If people feel like they trust you or even like you, and you make a little mistake later on, they think, yeah, sure, you know. You're just a human being, that's fine, I can relate to you, it's even better. But if you don't do all the things that I've mentioned, and let's face it, confidence is basically a result of all of these processes that I've described to you. If you haven't put in the work, if you haven't done your research, if you haven't checked out the room, and the first few seconds are you fumbling around with the tech, looking at the screen instead of the audience, and sorry, but lots of people do it, 
if you're not engaging them, that first impression, that first feeling, their instinct might be, eh, not sure, something's off, don't trust you, don't like you. And then when you make a mistake, they think, yep, told you, it's, it backs up their first impression. So make a good first impression by smiling. And guess what? The smiling helps you. If you step into that role of being that wonderful, impressive speaker, it can actually change your subconscious and make you feel, yeah, actually, I'm good at this. And I mean, I've done it plenty of times where I've, someone's asked me a question in the middle of a talk and I've, I've come back with something straight away. And I, I'm thinking to myself, that sounded really professional. You know, hold it together. Um, I don't think they've noticed. Uh, that worked. So it's the basics of social interaction, but so many people get that wrong. Okay. Um, oh, so yes, the poll. Uh, we have, yes, please. It's overwhelming on yes, please. Okay, so my, my top tips on that are the, the best way to do it is not to necessarily write gags uh, or to try and say something funny. What I find really works, and this will be my super duper top tip number three, if there were, were this, uh, call out what's happening. And I see a lot of stand-ups doing it, and I love it. So by that I mean, if something goes wrong and the audience has noticed, describe it. Say, when I was working on this, when I was preparing this, I did not expect, and it's the thing that happened. So it might be someone coming in late wearing something weird or uh, something, anything with the tech. Just describe it going, right, this has happened. If you describe it out loud and you're smiling, people will relate to it and they'll find it very funny because the reason it's amusing is because tension has been created and you're puncturing the tension. If, however, you do the dreadful British response, which would be, I'm going to ignore this until it goes away, that's, that's not going to work because guess what? It's not going to go away. The other side is, of course, if something happens and the audience hasn't noticed, then you might be able to get away with it. But if it's clear, just declare it. That kind of thing is funny. Something self-deprecating, I think, is really funny. It's um, it's, it's the human aspect. I mean, that, that's what stand-up comedy is, right? It's saying, you know, here are these problems that I've had as a human being, and that's how people relate to it. I try and get people to walk around when they give a talk. Now, you might, that might feel, well, it probably does feel counterintuitive. If there's a lectern, you might think, I'm going to hold on to this, but dear life, with my knuckles turning white. I recommend getting out from behind the lectern. I recommend moving as much as feels natural as much as fits with your character and your speaking persona i like to stride around all over the place and if it's a big audience i like to walk up into the audience and talk to people in the back row that's just how i do it you may want to stand absolutely still that may be your style however i recommend trying walking around you don't have to pace backwards and forwards like a panther but try moving to different parts of the room try standing in different places you might find you can let me kind of illustrate a basic narrative of we started here and you're physically where you start giving your talk and then we end up over here. Perhaps you return to that start place. Try moving around. Sometimes I find it lets people actually flow and improve their speaking flow and they start talking more naturally. If I'm rehearsing a talk, I walk around the house and do it because it feels more conversation. You might do the same when you're on the phone. It just feels a bit more natural. So move around as much as you can. And I mean, I'll just mention the very basics of body language. I think having your hands kind of open you know not folding your arms I mean I know people know you shouldn't do that but just trying to look relaxed it's the same with the smiling you kind of trick your own subconscious if you sit in a relaxed way and there's a, a great TED talk by I think it's Amy Cuddy um, uh, your body language shapes who you are it, it kind of tricks your subconscious and by moving in a natural confident way you will feel more confident um, and finally I would say Show some passion. Show it matters. If it doesn't look like your subject, your thing that you're trying to convince people is worth investing in, if it doesn't look like it matters to you, why should it matter to the audience? Show them that you love this stuff. This matters to you. It's important. And it doesn't have to be joy as your emotion. It might be fury of injustice. It might be feeling down. But show something. I used to find when I did stand-up that the more emotion I showed, the, the funnier the lines were. It's as simple as that. So show that it matters. If you were to combine all those things, if you were to start off with this problem matters, start off with a perfect picture would be, here's this dreadful problem. It is costing time, money, health, whatever it is. We're going to fix it with this. Boom, and then you're off. That's, that's important. That, that can resonate. That can work. Someone gets up to speak and I think, oh, this doesn't really seem to matter to you. I'm, I'm going to get off the bus, metaphorically.
uh, it should matter to you. It should be important. Uh, right, so if there's any other points on that, I think that's it. Um, yeah, so material, visuals, delivery, showing that it matters. Uh, right, thank you for listening. I'm going to go to uh, just sum up now. Now, of course, I've, I've told you a lot of things. I've talked and talked and talked. Um, oh, sorry, we should just do the poll thing. Um, no, I've mentioned that already. I beg your pardon. I'm getting scatty, right? Please forgive me. So, sum up. Uh, write a good, concise piece. Make something nice and simple. Have a narrative, a story. Have characters. Have situations that matter, drama, solutions, to demonstrate all the wonderful things you want to talk to people about. Rehearse, talk, get used to the flow. It'll get really embedded in your brain if you can just talk about it. It's not slide number four in this section. It's just talking about your subject. Console yourself. Everyone gets nervous. That tends to be the, the breakthrough I find when I'm training people is that people realize, oh, yeah, it's fine. Everyone gets nervous. Of course they do. And your audience understands that as well. So don't worry about that. You'll be nervous and that's fine. None of this will mean anything unless you apply it. And again, I know that you know that, but it's, I think it's worth saying. Get speaking. It might be two minutes in a meeting. It might be five minutes doing a, a little summing up of what the team's been doing that week. Get as much experience as you can. That way you will improve. Keep talking. Keep trying out new things. And trust me, you will get better at speaking, at pitching, at presenting, and you will feel more confident. Okay, thank you very much. Um, here are some useful things. Um, I've, I've mentioned TED Talks. I think generally they're really good. I think you can learn a lot from them. There's Simon Sinek, Start With Why. A couple of great books by Nancy Duarte. Um, and I'm a Seth Godin fan. But that particular post, which I think is from November 2016, actually, um, is really, oh, anyway, it's very good. It's very interesting. So I think that's it. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you got some useful advice from that. And that's it. I think we're good. So uh, now it comes to the uh, the Q and A. So Excellent. I'm going to um, have a look We've at got that. Some great questions okay. here, John. Um, <laughs> right, some interesting questions. Um, Right, let me get down to one of those. Okay. Um, ooh. Right, so I've got, how do you handle some audience members who break into a presentation with questions almost like heckling? Right. I think the, the reason people do that is because, uh, well, there are a few different reasons, but some of them might be they simply want to show off um, and show how incredibly intelligent they are. I think if you've already said we'll take questions at the end, you could state that again and say, yes, um, we'll, we'll deal with those questions later on. But if you've got the, the courage to do it, I would recommend answering their question, but just to kind of shut them down as quickly as possible. I would let them um, have their moment in the spotlight, which is probably what they wanted. Let them join in and deal with it in a nice, concise way. And then if they pursue it and they're taking up too much time, you can point that out. You can say, look, I'd love to talk to you some more about that, whether you would or not. But um, there are other people here and I want to make sure that everyone gets enough time and then move on. So politely shut them down, I think is the best way. Okay, so that was Sarah uh, who asked that. Um, let's see, another one. Any other hot tips or techniques for preventing your debilitating nerves from affecting the, act the ability to actually think about what you're doing? Um, hold on, sorry, I'm having difficulty actually reading that question because it keeps disappearing. A big one. Um, what you're saying and how you're saying it, noticing how people are reacting, fielding unexpected questions. Okay. Oh, good. I've, I've managed to stop it moving. Right. I think the more rehearsal you do, the calmer you will feel. I appreciate that on the day itself, the nerves can send your brain into a tailspin. I would say, first thing is take a moment. You don't have to tell the audience that you're feeling nervous. That might undermine their, um, uh, your credibility. But what you could do is just take a moment. I find that 
for I think most speakers, time seems to pass at double the speed. So that pause of two or three seconds feels like four or six. Take a moment and look at your notes and just take a deep breath. I find people tend to speed up when they get nervous and accelerate and slow down. Slow yourself down. Slow down your heart rate. Breathe slowly. Take a breath and move on. People will appreciate that. You might even just want to take a, a sip of water as a natural break. Okay, I hope that, um, that helps. And uh, as the thing I mentioned before, be in the moment. Don't worry about what's coming up next. Just look at that, that particular thing you're talking about there and then. Okay. Uh, uh, I'm going to choose... Ah, so someone here said, uh, so Ira, Ira said, is Toastmasters worthwhile for learning and practice? I would say yes, but it appears from what I've seen of Toastmasters in the UK that it's a long, hard, slow process. So I think you can do really well with it and you've got to their sort of military style uh, ranking system, but it you might only get to, you know, the meeting I went to, I think it's like two hours and I think I got to speak for 30 seconds or something. So maybe to, to look at other people's techniques and maybe get a bit of experience, but I would, um, I would, I don't know, set up, set up something in your company, set up a speaking club, um, set up your own thing where you get to talk, practice that way. So I no disrespect to Toastmasters, but I think it's a, it could be a slightly slow process. Um, you may find it goes at exactly your pace, but I found for the time investment, it wasn't um, quite what I was after. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm just looking for another question. Um, Hold on, just bear with me. Um, oh, here's a good one. Anne-Marie Bond has said, if you have a choice of doing a joint presentation or presenting alone, which would you choose and why? Joint presentation, every time. Um, it's more interesting for the audience. You've got a variety of voice type, maybe of um, expertise. The back and forth can be really good. Now, a possible weakness, of course, is that you rehearse with your partner and then on the day they're ill or you're ill and they've got to do it on their own. So that can be... Um, tricky, but I would say um, presenting in a pair is really good because it just it just grabs the audience, it grabs their attention, and of course you're spreading the, the responsibility and the nerves. Right, got a question here from um, oh, I can't pronounce your name, Fuang uh, Nguyen. I think I've nailed that. Um, what advice would you have for people who may be told they speak a little too fast? I think I mentioned this before, but most people will speed up without being facile, slow down. Um, slow it right down. I would slow down to the point where it feels like it's too slow. Have a good pause. I particularly like Barack Obama's way of doing things. His, he has a, a rapid fire. Um, he, he fires off salvos. So he'll talk really quickly and then he'll put in a pause. And then he'll talk really quickly again. That, so overall, it's actually not too fast. His overall cadence is actually much slower because you've got time to take it in. So I would have a nice pause, slow down, um, take a nice deep breath. Sometimes people speak so fast they run out of breath, which is um, <laughs> really, really tricky. Uh, right, Eleonaro Tomazello said, can you recommend resources on storytelling? The... I think the Babette Buster, and that's the best author name I've ever heard, Babette Buster's book, Do Story, is very short and it is beautifully full of how to use good stories. Um, that's probably the best one. Um, there are other things like um, the book I've got here in my office, uh, which is The Seven Basic Plots by Christopher Brooker, but it's, that's a bit of a, a, bit of a tome. Um, oh, I know, um, Story by Robert McKee, which I haven't put here. Again, it's quite a big book, but it's all about how to tell the best stories. Having said that, I've got a better um, resource, stand-up comedy. Go and watch some comics at your local stand-up comedy club because they are telling stories and they will do it in the most concise, engaging way possible. Yesterday, I was doing this. I hated it. This happened. It's really nice and short. So actually, yes, I've only just thought of that. I would say um, go and watch some stand-up comedy. Right. Uh, Mabel Yee has said, for consistency, many companies ask employees to use a standard PowerPoint template. I hate these. That's me saying that. Uh, for presentations. What do you think about that? 
does that make it boring for an audience to see a cookie cutter presentation format repeatedly? I, I hate that. I really don't have time for it. But whenever I say to people, hey, you should change this, they say, it's the template. What you can do, I mentioned earlier on the templates about having a dark background with light text. You can, you can, sometimes you can do that without messing up the, it tends to be for some reason a big blue wavy line at the bottom I find for templates. Uh, without messing it up, you can make it a lot more interesting and easy to look at. On projectors, by the way, light text on dark background looks amazing. And if you use a black background, only your words are, are projected, if you see what I mean. If, it's, if the image isn't aligned with the screen, then it, then it doesn't matter. Uh, I, if you can, try and change the template. If you're going to get into trouble, tinker with it in a way that doesn't break the guidelines. So having, um, well, having the image that fills the slide, you know, if that replaces the, the template, if it's not allowing anything else to be shown, that's, I think that's okay. So I would say, yeah, make it different, make it original. I mean, you mentioned, uh, Michael's mentioned a cookie cutter presentation format, seeing it repeatedly. That for me goes for delivery style. It goes for the plate where you stand, the door you come in through. I always want to do stuff differently. So if everyone comes from, you know, everyone's sitting in the same one place. I want to go and sit in the audience and listen to what people are saying and then stand up. And just doing things differently, I think, even if it does seem to be for the sake of it, um, it is really important. Uh, Arinda McIntyre has said, please comment on use, possible overuse of hands when presenting. Now, I've been told by lots of people who I coach, they say, oh, we were told not to gesticulate. We were told to keep our hands by our sides or whatever. No, I love gesticulating. If you look at any pictures of me, you'll, you'll see I tend to have my hands thrown up in the air like the emperor from Star Wars. Um, I, I think gesticulating and waving your hands around, if it's your style, if it's natural and authentic, then you should definitely do it, Arinda. It's um, it's whatever you feel comfortable with, and that goes with the movement as well. If you don't feel like moving your hands around, then don't do it. But possible over, how could you overuse them? I think they're expressive. I think it's wonderful. So I would say definitely use them. And you might find you want to hold uh, an object, a totem of some sort, usually the clicker. But I've seen people hold a pen, and that works really well. So no, I would say go for it. Um, do what is authentically you. Right, Stephen Dummett says, do you think having a Twitter wall um, or, or providing a hashtag supports the presentation or distracts the audience? I once did a talk where I, I tried to do a, a, a little tweet to myself so that I could refer to it and it didn't come up and I got, and I got distracted by it. So I think, I, I like the idea, but no, people are just going to be looking at that. And, and people can write anything as well. You can have someone writing something offensive. So. I I don't know. I, I don't think it's good. I think when I've seen that, I've I've certainly been distracted. I mean, let's face it, if you've got uh, visuals with text and you're talking about something that is, um, and you sort of stray slightly, you're going to be competing for the audience's attention. They're going to think, right, do I look at the slides and ignore you speaking or do I listen to you and ignore the slides? Either way, I'm going to miss out. A Twitter war, I think, would just add to that noise and the, um, yeah, I think it'd be another distraction. I like the idea of the live thing, but I don't know. I don't think that's a good idea. Right, uh, Bao Nguyen says, someone recommending that you video record yourself to hear yourself talk and review later for yourself to see what you need to work on. Fantastic idea. The way I see it, the pain you experience when you watch yourself speaking on video, and you will experience pain, will be directly proportional to the benefit you will notice the weird thing you do with your hands, the weird way you stand, the way that you say so before every sentence, all those little weird little things, the kind of things that I look out for, you will see them. Yes, you'll feel uncomfortable watching yourself, but it will help you eliminate all kinds of bad habits. So I recommend that. I think it's a fantastic idea. Right, um, I'll, do, I'll do one more. We're at seven o'clock. Um, so... So here, I'm going to say, shak, shak, sorry, sorry, sir. Uh, I usually start my presentation by asking the audience a question. This makes me reach the comfort level quickly. Is that a good approach? Yes, but be ready for no answer. If it's a rhetorical question, it will get the audience thinking, and that's fine. And then if you got, if you then present what you consider to be an answer, then they'll be thinking, oh, I wonder if that 
I wonder if my answer matches. But if you ask them a question and it's at the beginning, they might be a bit British and, uh, well, they might be British, but they might uh, not respond. They might think, well, you know, you're doing the talking. Why should I join in? So I think something rhetorical, and again, it could be that problem you hit them with. How are we going to fix this problem? Have you ever encountered this problem? It gets people thinking. So I think it's a good idea, but um, make it rhetorical. Okay, Chandra Bell says, I, I'll just do one more. I think we'll do this as the last one. I hope that's okay. Uh, I've been tasked with pitching a product idea to my executive team and I've never presented a day in my life. Okay, great information given today. Is there anyone you recommend with great presentation skills? I, I'm going to go back to TED Talks, but because those are all what I would call ordinary people who have simply rehearsed a lot. They've got a great story and they have been drilled. I'm always amazed that people on TED or indeed on any live TV talent show aren't petrified beyond belief. I'm, well, I know that with TED, they rehearse. They do lots and lots of dry runs and rehearsals and they get speaking. So that that isn't someone specific, but I would say find, look through TED because you'll find someone and also often the good people. So um, there's a guy called uh, Ken Robinson, I believe, who's a British gentleman who has a great TED talk, it's very popular on TED, and I think it's called How Schools Kill Creativity. But he's done more than one. So I would say, find that talk that you like and then see if they've done more. Okay, um, I think uh, that is it. Thank you very much. Thanks for those questions, those are amazing. Um, I appreciate I couldn't answer all of them. Um, but that is it, thank you very much for listening.